The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Her husband asked her, why did you have to buy such an extravagant dress? And she said, well, the devil made me buy it. And the husband said, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? And the woman said, I did. And he said, it looks as good from the back as it does from the front. So, uh... I had to buy it. So, uh, meeting Satan head on, today we're going to see, as you all know, Christians are under attack today, probably more so than uh, in most of our lifetimes. I'm not going to say more so than ever, because it's been an ongoing problem since the Garden of Eden. And we're not living in times like we've never seen in our history, but maybe in our lifetime we're living in times like we've never seen before. And uh, what's behind all of this? You know, I think sometimes we can look at political parties or we can look at uh, political candidates or we can look at uh, different groups and say, well, here lies the problem or there lies the problem or here's where all of this is beginning. It all boils down to Satan. He's behind it all. And anything that God wants to do in any good and perfect gift, Satan wants to destroy and what's happening is, is we see things today much like was happening during Paul's time and over in Acts chapter 19. When Paul comes to Ephesus, he finds a city there that is completely in the grip of superstition. They're in the grip of fear. They're in the grip of, of demonism and darkness. And they're all kind of surrounded around this government or this this place there in the temple called the Temple of Artemis, or it's also called the Temple of Diana. It's one of the seven wonders of the world during that time. And, and the church there at Ephesus and the folks there in Ephesus in this ancient world, uh, they're, they're kind of all tied to that group. They're kind of all tied. And I keep, I keep saying the government there, but the church there, or, or the temple, I should say, I shouldn't say the church, but the the temple there of, of Artemis was, was, a, was a huge factor in everything that took place in Ephesus. I wish we had more time this morning just to talk about that, but, but the, the center of this, this temple, is what was causing all this immorality. And, of course, Satan was behind it, and all the depravity they were, uh, they were experiencing in Ephesus really could be tied back to this temple. So as Paul comes, he comes to Ephesus there, and... Uh, part of what was taking place during this time is this temple of Artemis, if you did something wrong, they would cast a spell upon you. And there were people going around, and they were saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to cast a spell on you. And there was all kinds of spiritual warfare going on, and people were following that, and people were, were eat up with those things. So to this church, Paul begins to write, and he first writes the, the church at Corinth, and he's... He's right, and you, you don't have to turn there, but this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of warf- warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strong, strongholds. So Paul's talking about the, the battle that they're in. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then it was to Ephesus that he wrote from Romans 
the letter in, in, in Ephesians, the, that whole epistle there, but in 6.12 where he talks about spiritual warfare is where he says, For we not wrestle against flesh and against blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So it seems to suggest that Paul's most complete study of spiritual powers, they kind of, uh, uh, the, the, these battles that Christians face, they kind of all accumulate right here in Ephesus. It's kind of where it all grows out of. And Paul, again, over and over and over, talks about these spiritual battles that we're in. I want us to pray this morning as we just prepare to, to hear God's word. And Father, this morning, as we open your word today, Father, I pray that you would teach us and that your spirit would guide us and lead us, Father. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't merely be hearers of the word, word today and so deceive ourselves, but Father, we would be doers. And Father, we're, we're tired of hearing of just hearing your word and hearing your word and going through those motions of everyday life. But Father, I pray today that we would be more than hearers of your word, but we would be doers. I pray, Father, that we'd take to heart the words that you have for us through the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray today that you'd get me out of the way. And Father, that what is proclaimed today would be the truth of your word. I pray, Father, every word that's just, every word that's right, every word that's true would remain on our hearts, within our minds. And Father, anything that would be against your will, anything that would contradict the truth of your word would be stricken from my voice and stricken from our minds. Father, that all we hear and all that we do today would be in step with you. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today we're going to look at an example of, of how Paul handled the situation that he's in. Remember, he's in this, uh, this capital here, this, uh, this uh, city of Ephesus, and things are, uh, are just going to hell in a handbasket, really. And Paul comes and he says, okay, here's how we're going to address this, and here's what we're going to do. And there's some, uh, there's some real things here that we can see that still take place and there's some things that we need to be prepared for when we present the gospel. So I have four things this morning I want to talk about. And the first, when the gospel is proclaimed, it will always be met with opposition. Now I want you to think about this, and I want you to kind of put these four things in text or in the context of where we are today in our society, in our country. When the gospel is proclaimed, it will always be met with opposition. Now, if you're in Acts chapter 19, we're finally going to get there. And according to verse 8, that's where we're going to start, Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And Paul, he, it says, and he, and that's talking about Paul, he went to the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Now, where's he at? He's there in the temple. And the Jews are there. But when some heard, they hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. Now, y'all know, and most of you probably know, that that, that word way, that's what uh, Christians were first called. They were following the new way. They were following Jesus, the way. And in your Bible, it's probably capitalized, W-A-Y. So they're speaking evil against Christ, against, against this new uh, uh, this new person who comes to save. So they're speaking against the way before the multitude. And he departed from them and withdrew the disciples 
reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. Now, what's happening here, over a three-month period, Paul has come and he's went to the temple. He went to the church there in Ephesus. And he begins to teach and he begins to preach. And for three months, he's doing these things. And during that time, some of the people are convicted. And I, like I said, I wish we had time because this is really what got Paul in trouble. And he ends up uh, being beaten a couple of times and then going before the courts. And then ended up in Rome. And it kind of all starts around this area. Because as he begins to teach and he begins to preach, folks are beginning to be convicted and they're beginning to come to the way. They're beginning to follow Jesus Christ. And because of this, the city's in an, an uproar. But in the temple, after three months, people became more and more opposed to him being there. And there was a kind of a step that began to happen. There was a kind of a, a three-step thing. First, we see they became hardened to the teaching. You know how you do that? After you hear a teaching and you hear it and you don't respond and you hear it and you don't respond and you hear it and you don't respond and over time what happens all of a sudden your heart kind of gets hardened to that teaching. I mean you've just heard it and it, it kind of hardens your heart. You're just not that interested anymore. But look at the second step in this progression. That, that hardening, that word actually means in the Greek a hard heart towards God and then as, they, as that hardening came on, they begin to not believe. In other words, they're hearing the Word, and they're hearing the Word, and over time, if they heard the Word, they start saying, we know what, we really don't even believe that anymore. You know, those are old teachings. Those are things, and, and I don't even believe those things. Think about our country today. A hardening taking place, and then uh, a decision not to really believe, and then if we go on and look at the next step, it, was a, it, was, it began to be a verbal uh, opposition, and they began to speak evil against that. So here's Paul. He's in the temple. He's preaching. They, their hearts begin to be hardened. They begin to say, you know what? We really don't even believe that. And they took it a step further. They started saying, well, we're going we're gonna to speak audibly against that. We're going to speak evil against what's happened. And that's the same picture of this spiritual warfare that we see between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There's a hardening of heart. There's a decision not to believe. And with that decision not to believe, they begin to speak evil against those things and against the way. So, so that's what's happening here as we see Paul. And when the opposition became too strong, Paul said, okay, I'm going to leave the temple. I'm going to Tyrannus. And that, that word Tyrannus is where we get the word tyrant from. And maybe his parents named him a tyrant. Maybe the, the students he had there in his school named him a tyrant. But whatever, it was a place where they taught Greek philosophy. And according to some extra biblical studies here, Paul arranged to rent this temple uh, where this Greek philosophy was, was taught between 11 and 4. So between 11 p.m. and, and uh, a.m. and 4 p.m., Paul rented this. And he began to teach about the way. He began to teach. And, and during that time for Ephesus, between 11 and 4, was kind of a time that everybody took a break. You know, they just uh, they worked up in the mornings till about 11, and then they, they just took a siesta. They took off for lunch. They lounged around. They, they just uh, did whatever they wanted to do. And about 4 o'clock, they went back to work. So during this time, Paul would get up. He would work as a tent maker. At 11 o'clock, he would go to this temple of Tyrannus, and he would begin to teach. And look what he was teaching in verse 10. For he continued for two years, this is in the temple of Tyrannus, 
He continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. This to provide unquestionable evidence of what Paul was teaching, God performed extraordinary miracles at the hand of Paul. Now Luke is the writer of Acts. So as Luke began to write these things, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't content to describe there were some great miracles. He said God did even more dynamic miracles. And he used some words here that, that described a divine power, a, 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 a term that was more than an ordinary miracle. And incidentally, folks, this is the only place in Scripture that we find this. If you have different translations, some of yours may translate special, some of them may, speciate, uh, may say singular or remarkable. Uh, the NIV says extraordinary miracles. So we read those things, and they weren't a typical event. And so God allowed those things to happen in Ephesus that the people might believe. And incidentally also, these were literally sweatbands, and they were aprons that Paul used. He used animal skins to build tents, so they protected his clothes, and he wore sweatbands. Y'all ever watch some of the football players when they leave the field? They pull off a sweatband and they shoot it up in the... Th I'm going to dodge it, sucker, if it's coming at me. That's nasty. But, but that's what they had here. Paul would take his sweatbands off and he would throw them over to the side and people would get them and take them home. And, and through that, God was doing some extraordinary miracles, some miracles that, that we don't see and that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. And, and when we think about that, I want you to be warned when you see uh, some group on TV promising you some kind of special healing if you'll uh, send in your donation and they'll send you back some kind of special rag or something to lay upon yourself while you're praying. Those faith healers today, they use this passage to, to, to support what they do. Again, I want to remind you, this is the only place we ever see that in Scripture. So those, those that you may be a skeptic about that, and rightfully so, we need to be careful about that. But anytime the, the, the gospel is proclaimed, remember this, there's going to be those who... Uh, who oppose the gospel. Here's the second thing. When the gospel is proclaimed, there will also be those who attempt to counterfeit the truth. Again, think about it in our context of our, of our world today, of the United States today. We have those who oppose the gospel. Their hearts are hardened. They've chose not to believe, so they speak out against the gospel. And then there's others today who counterfeit the truth. Look what it says here. Satan's always tries to counterfeit the miracles of God. So we find in verse 13, then some of the irritant or some of the traveling Jewish exorcists, that's what that means, some of those, some of those Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Saying this, we exercise you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. In verse 14, also there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered them, saying, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man whom the evil spirit was leapt, leapt upon them and overpowered them and prevailed against them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. 
you see here the, the seeing the power of Jesus' name, some of those traveling exorcists, some of those that would come to, to Ephesians and apply their trade, they looked at Paul and they said, man, Paul's got something going on here. And he's doing this through the name of Jesus. So you know what? I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start using that too. I'm gonna, I've got these incantations. I've got these different ideals. So I'm just going to include that in my bag of tricks. So they do that. And, and when this happens, uh, it's kind of humorous, isn't it? Did y'all hear what happened? I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it. These, these guys thought, okay, we're just going to call on the name of Jesus. So they went and they go to this particular demon and he's, he's demon-possessed and they say, we're going to cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And, and this demon says there, you know what? I don't really know who you are. And look what this demon says. He says, I know Jesus. And the word he uses there is, is I have a deep knowledge of Jesus. The, it's, a, it's a word that means a, a present active knowledge. So they said, we know the living Jesus. That's the demons. They believed. They said, hey, we know who Jesus is, and we have a working, active knowledge of Jesus. And they use another word here that says, and we've heard of Paul. So the demons say to these seven sons of Siva and Siva there, hey, we have, a, we have an active understanding of who Jesus is. And by the way, we know who Paul is. We've heard about who Paul is. But we don't know who you are. We don't even know what you're about. And they just come out and just beat the soup out of all of them. I mean, they beat them down. This is just one man filled with an evil spirit. He whoops all of them. And what does he do? He whoops them out of their clothes. That's what the scripture says. He beat them. He, them, he sent them fleeing out of the house naked. That's what this demon did. See, there was those who were counterfeiting the truth. Have you ever read in Scripture where it says that there will be a time when there will be those that stand before the Father and He'll say, Away from me, I never knew you. Go from me, you workers of iniquity. And, and when we read that, they say, Well, we cast out demons in your name, and we healed in your name, and we preached in your name. That's the ones Jesus is talking about here. Like these who said, in the name of Jesus, we're going to cast out these demons. And this demon said, well, we don't even know who you are. And that's what Jesus said. In the end times, there will be those counterfeit Christians that says, Lord, we gave and we went to church and we did all of these things in your name. And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Those are those counterfeit Christians. So, folks, we need to be aware when, when the gospel is proclaimed, there's always going to be a tempt to counterfeit the truth. Here's the third point this morning. When the gospel is, is proclaimed, there will always be a conviction of sin. Now this is, this is progressing through Paul's message here. We see he started proclaiming the gospel. There was those who opposed it. There was those who spoke against it. As he proclaimed the gospel, there was, go there was those who attempted to counterfeit it. They said, okay, Paul's doing these things. We're going to do the same thing. What's the church doing? Who are they following? Remember, they're following their sorcerers. They're in tune with them. They're saying, hey, uh, this is our God. This is who we're going to follow. We, we believe in witchcraft. We believe in all of these different things. When we have a problem, we go to that person. i got a problem with Jeremy, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to say, you know, i got a problem with Jeremy. Throw a spell on him. And they say, we got, got you taken care of. They, they believe this. That's how they're living. 
And all of a sudden, the, the counterfeiters say, hey, we can do that. So they say, watch this. They find a man demon-possessed. They say, we're going to cash you out in the name of Jesus. Whoops the tar out of them. Sends them on their way. And Paul continues to proclaim. Look what he says here in verse 17. This became known to all the Jews and all the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. What became known? It became known that these sons of Siva went down and was going to cast this demon out in the name of Jesus. It became known through all the town and all those dwelling in Ephesus. And look what happened. And a fear fell on all of them. And the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, was magnified. Verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. That's important. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Verse 19. Also, many of these who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, what happened? It scared some folks, didn't it? God began to move, and they saw what the power of God really was, and they, they said, wait a minute, we're going to come. We understand now. We've been, we've been following some false gods. We've been following somebody who's been counterfeiting the truth. And the, the word used there is, is practice magic. It's kind of an, an it's paragos. It's kind of an interesting word, because I want you to hear what it says. The only other place it, it occurs in all the Scripture is 1 Timothy 5.13, and there it's translated as busybodies. Y'all know what a busybody is? Y'all ever called somebody a busybody? You know, that word, it means someone who goes beyond that which is legitimate. Now, th what we're talking about, we're talking about these, these who practice magical works during this time. The word used is somebody that goes beyond that which is legitimate. It means doing with care all the pains and all the things that they do are not worth the trouble, and they're really just meddling. That's what it translates to. So what? I'll go back to my example a while ago. I'll go to this person, this magician, and i say, you know what, Jeremy did this and this, and they're busybodies. They go, we'll fix him for you. We're going to do this. We're going to start meddling around and doing these things. That's what it literally means. Those who practice these aren't these laws. The problem was those things never were able to deliver. They, they made a lot of promises. And a lot of people were holding on to those false promises. But they couldn't deliver. So when God, the power of God prevailed through Paul, all of that magic had fallen away and fell through the sons of Siva. The, the Ephesians saw their, their magical practices, and they said, you know what, they're, they're, they're really evil. They really are worthless. They really are some things that, that's not going to work anymore. And, and it's amazing to me, the people today even, that go to, to soothsayers or that goes to mediums or fortune tellers or psychics or, or tarot cards or call Miss Cleo, and Miss Cleo can straighten out. You know what the Bible says they are? They're meddlers. They're busybodies that really have no benefit and no power. All they are is some tool that Satan uses to get within us. Did you hear that? I've said so many times, and y'all have heard me say this, don't read your horoscope. Because you know what you'll do? Have y'all ever done this? You don't have to answer. I have. I flipped over there and read my horoscope and thought, Dadgum, that happened. 
that was my day today. And then, then maybe a few days later, I think, well, shoot, I wonder what I was supposed to happen to me today. And I flip over. That happened too. You know what happens when we do that? We start saying, boy, my feet hit the ground in the morning. I better look at my horoscope. I better make sure everything's going to be all right with me today because after all, it's been right two or three times. You know, I bet you we can put something generic out this morning and every one of us tomorrow could make our day fit it, couldn't we? I mean, we could say, I'm going to get up in the morning and uh, I'm going to be extra tired in the morning. All of us get up, man, I was just tired this morning. Oh, yeah, that's, I, I knew I was going to be. That's, that's the way Satan gets into us and, and starts a lie within us. And that's what was happening in, in Ephesus. Those busy, busy bodies, those that were meddling around in people's lives, all of a sudden they'd started believing it. They started saying, you know what, there's some truth there. But when God's word was proclaimed, they was convicted of their sin. Verse 18 says, these individuals openly confessed. I, I was reading a story and I heard about... This, this lady, she actually wrote this. Her name was Lori Beth Jones. She has a book that she uh, titled Growing Sometimes Besides Growing Old. She talks about one Halloween night she had uh, underestimated how many children were going to come to her home, so she ran out of candy. And she was kind of frantically trying to find what she could give out, so she had a jar there with nickels and dimes and quarters, so she just set that by the door and she began to give out a little handfuls of change and, and she said one cute little five-year-old girl came up and was dressed up in, in her, her outfit and she had a, a, uh, a princess outfit on and she had a, a crown and she haven't had a wand and she trick-or-treated and, and uh, Lori Beth Jones said I, I put two quarters in her sack and I said I'm sorry I'm out of candy but tomorrow you can take those two quarters and you can turn them into real candy. And she said, the five-year-old five little girl stepped back and said, Lady, this ain't a real wand. <laughs> you know. Uh, but listen, that's what they did here. It says they openly confessed. You know what they were confessing? Lady, these ain't real wands. The, these, these things really don't have any power. We, we've just been meddling around. What are they doing? They're, they're confessing their sin. And when we read this, that's what the Bible says. They didn't just want to get right with God. They begin to, they begin to tell how their things work. They begin to, if y'all ever seen, uh, I don't even remember the name of that movie. It's got a, a Whoopi Goldberg in it, you know, Ghosts. Have y'all seen that movie, Ghosts? And uh, she had a, an earpiece in, you know, and they'd tell her the information they had, and that was a counterfeit, wasn't it? And, and that's what was happening here, that those counterfeit things were taking place, and, and the magicians began to set up and say, and say, hey, this is how we were doing those things. We just want to confess. They're not real. We've been, we've been fooling you, and, and the, the, the way these things worked was by keeping it secret. Now, we would never do that, would we? Do y'all ever say this? Whew, that like to happen, knock on wood. Y'all ever say that? You know where that came from? That, 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 the roots of that is in pagan belief that demons went out in the forest and hid in trees. So when you were walking to where you was going and when you came to the forest, you knocked on trees. 
to scare the demons out. Oh, we would never do that. I don't believe that. That's where it came from. You ever done this? When you see a fallen star, what are you going to do? And, in, and then when you say, did you make a wish, what do you say? Why? It won't come true. Where did that come from? It came from right here. The, the magician says, hey, when we cast a spell, keep it secret. Because if you tell it, it won't come true. And see, that just spills over today. But they came and said, you know what? We're going to tell it. We're going to divulge all this information. We're going to speak it out and, and let you understand that our powers, our, our remedies, they're, they're powerless. And we're going to speak that truth that you may know. See, these people would have said, hey, these spells that are cast, keep them secret or they'll never come to pass. And these magicians, they're, they're convicted. And they said, hey, we're going to tell you everything. We're going to tell you where it came from, how it happened. And not only that, part of their repentance, part of their confessions, part of their obedience, they came, they burnt all of the material they were using. And it says 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a large sum of money. Considering this, one piece of silver roughly was a day's pay or was, a, was an average worker's pay for a day. If you look at that, it's roughly 100 years of income that they just burn up. They said, this stuff is so false, we're going to bring it, we're going to burn it up. It appears that the, the mighty work of God, it began in the believer's heart. Remember who he's dealing with? The Jewish people in the temple. See, he's dealing with God's chosen people. He's dealing with what we would call the Christians of the day. And he proclaims the gospel. And they see what's happening, play, ha taking place. And they see those they've been following were liars. Those that they had been following, they had been duped. And the, the church there, they came and they began to confess. And they began to come to God. And, and I want you to look at the last thing this morning. When the gospel is proclaimed, there will always be growth within the church. Look what it says in verse 20. So, because of those things, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So, well, I want to bring all this together this, this morning. When those believers begin to show changed lives, when those believers in Ephesus, when, when they begin to show a newness of their life, the unbelievers begin to look and begin to say, you know what? We need to look at our practices. We need to look around and, and, and look what's happening to these believers. I mean, there's something truth in what they say. They're, they're living this truth. And through them living that truth, when the church began to get straightened out, the people in the community of Ephesus began to get straightened out. As I said earlier, if we had time, they run Paul out of there on a rail. You know why? Because the, the, the people of, of the temple of, of Artemis begin to lose uh, resources. The people quit buying trinkets and quit worshiping idols and quit using sorcerers and, and the, the, the temple of, of, of Diana, it began to lose money and they told Paul, you get out of here. You're ruining our business. You're ruining our culture. But see what happened when the, when the church got their lives right, the community around them began to change. 
I want to ask today, what would be the results of us in this church if we as a church got our lives right? I mean, we as a church, we, we did away with, with some of those things that might be a little bit questionable. Oh, I just made a little list. What if certain magazines were quietly removed from their hiding places or, or certain kinds of novels was no longer put on our shelves for reading or, or maybe certain TV channels were no longer viewed or, or maybe our computer hard drives or our cell phones, they were cleaned up with what we look at and what we hear and what we see and, and we begin to replace some of our distractions with prayer and, and we begin to get serious with God. What would it look like? And what would the community see? Would they see that, hey, you know what? They've got something there. It's not lip service. It's not simply someone coming in and preaching a message and everybody going back home, but, but there's some changed lives. That's what happened in Ephesus. And because the church had a changed life, because the church began to worship the true living God, those who looked at the church, they were changed. The passage makes it clear that when these demonic forces, they, they had seized control of the people in Ephesus. Folks, we need to understand this. There is no evil force that can force itself upon us. Isn't that great? I mean, there, there's no evil force. The Bible says this, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. As Christians, the only way that we open our lives up to allowing Satan a place in our life is, is when we begin to yield to some of those influences. When we begin to look into some of those areas, astrology or horoscopes or crystals or meditation and getting outside of oneself or channeling oneself, all of those things, we can say, oh, that's all that New Age stuff. Well, that's what it is. It's, it's opening ourselves up for some attacks from Satan. You remember the Bible says, it says, be careful not to give Satan a foothold. And folks, when we begin to dabble around in things of Satan, he begins to get a little toehold, and from that toehold, he begins to work through us and in us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want you just to think about this this morning. It's kind of a different message, but as I was reading about that church, and I've been studying Paul, and I'm excited about Paul and his life, but when I saw what happened there, when the church went face-to-face -face with Satan, we said, no longer, we're not going to put up with it any longer, Satan. There are going to be those that come against us that uh, they don't believe, their hearts are hard, and, and because of that, because of hard heart and unbelief, they're going to speak evil against the church. And folks, that ain't the building that we're sitting in, that's you. You are the living church if you're a born-again Christian. So there's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some counterfeits out there that say, you know, I've got everything you've got. I can... I can live my life the way I live my life, and there's no difference between us. That's Satan's counterfeit. But folks, when we confess, when we begin to get things right, when we have a what the Bible says is, is a revival, we call it a revival, a, a, a newness of our life and a recommitment to God, then through that, the community's changed. Our friends are changed. Our city's changed. You know, ultimately, our world can be changed. Twelve men followed Jesus, and thousands of years later, we're still 
following their lead through the Holy Spirit of God. If we as a church, I don't know anybody's background here. You know what I know? I know who I am and I know where I am. If, if I would get serious about God's business and we as a church would get serious about God's business, he'll open the doors of heaven and he'll pour out a blessing upon us, upon this place, upon this community. So this morning, I, I can't do anything other more than just show you what's in God's word. I want to ask you this morning, while we just spend a moment in prayer, would you just say, God, this morning, show me what I need to give to you. It might be anything. I can't even begin to list it. Would you this morning take one step towards saying, I know there's an area in my life, I need to just get this one thing right, and then God will begin to lead you to those other areas. There may not be anything. If there's nothing, I want to ask you to do this. Would you pray for those around you? We are a body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We're all a part of the same body. If one part of the body's hurting, the whole body's affected. So would you pray for those around you? Would you pray for yourself? And would you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you? Father, this morning, as we really just consider the things we see in our nation today, the the way that we're headed, the way the wind seems to be blowing, Father, we realize so many people today look for fulfillment in so many things. But, Father, I pray today that we'd know that there are going to be those who oppose the gospel, who oppose uh, our walk with you, Father. There's going to be those who try to counterfeit those things. There, there's going to be others that are convicted by your word and come to you, Father. Lord, I pray, whatever the situation is, I pray that it would start with us and it would start with me. And, Father, that we would be right with you. And, Father, through that relationship, others might begin to see the hope that we have. And, Father, as they give us opportunity, we might share that blessed hope. Father, this morning, again, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher, would be our guide. I pray, Father, that... All that we remember today would be true of your word. And, Lord, if there's any here today who just need to do business with you, I pray, Father, during this time of invitation, we would surrender our will, and we would be where you'd have us to be as your children. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.